All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 109 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, September 13th, 2018. My name's Josh Cannon. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. Of course, the big question on everyone's mind right now, how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Looks like I might be getting a job soon at Michael's. Mike? Working at Michael's, people could show up and I'd just be like, hey, welcome to my store. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the dad joke is pre-built into the damn store. My God, it's it's, it's <laughs> genius level dad joke. And it's a great, that's the exact joke that uh, like if, if a secret shopper or like someone from corporate were to come in and stop by and you were to say something yeah. like that, they'd be like, oh, oh, oh. That's funny. I like that. That's pretty good. Who's this employee? I like this kid. He's got pizzazz. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did the background check. Um, I'm assuming everything worked out fine because they didn't call me back and say, uh, you're, you're not getting the job or an email. So I called the, the manager again, and he's going to go on vacation next week. So if I were to start, it's not going to start until after next week. Um, but he says I should get a call from someone who's taking this place next week with like a, a schedule for for the for next week. Oh so, shit! So it's looking for the pretty... week a- for the week after next. So yeah, so it's looking pretty legit. Like I, I I'm pretty I'm pretty confident Woo-hoo! that I'm going to be getting it. Congratulations, Mike! You finally sounds like for all intents and purposes. I mean, once you pat, I mean, dude, if they're having you take a drug test, then you're pretty much. In. If I didn't you, take a drug test. I just did a background check on their website and just typed in a couple addresses I used to live at. Oh, that's about it. Well, whatever. Uh, either way, if you're if they're, they're looking for a criminal record, that's what they're yeah. doing, and I don't have one. So, well, if they got to that point in the interview, then you know, because these people don't want to waste their time, so they're not no, gonna have, no. they're not gonna have you do a background check if they're not. You yeah, know. exactly. I know. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Congratulations. Are, are, what so are you, be- seasonal oh. for right now, okay. but it could turn into something more. But for me, it's like I live with my parents, so I don't have to pay that much rent. So this will help me save up some money uh, and uh, get my self-esteem back up because I haven't worked in so long. Also, uh, I'm looking forward to working in a retail environment again. I, I, I actually like it. I like helping people. And Michael's is going to be pretty laid back unless it's a sale day because it's not going to be like a drive through at a Burger King or anything like that. It's no, it's going to be nowhere near that hectic. So are you going to be I'm, like I'm looking for, cashier? Or? Uh, possibly. I don't know exactly what's going on just yet. Cashier, maybe helping in the in the back. Maybe you're just doing whatever they want me to do. Um, I'll learn the layout of the store as quick as possible. Uh, it's a pretty big store, but I mean, I got a pretty good memory. So once I get more, a little bit more on on uh, on the job experience, so I'll, I'll get it down. Um, Fucking, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to it. So the only thing I'm worried about is how I'm going to balance this plus my school. But you know, they'll probably work with me with my schedule. I've already told them that I can't really do Fridays because I have classes on that day. So. Hopefully I can get at least another day off so I can be able to, you know, work with other stuff. Because I'm going to have to shoot footage and stuff, interviews for uh, a couple classes for uh, this term at WCU. So, got to have time for that. But anyway, so, I mean, it's been pretty obvious at this point that this is a podcast about Unsolved Mysteries. (laughs) Uh, I think we've made that abundantly clear. Um, but no, this is a podcast where we where we talk about the show Unsolved Mysteries from time to time. You know, actually, maybe a little bit more than a hundred episodes we did that. We were on Cult Month for a while. Uh, I got I got kind of burned out on the cults, to be honest with you, folks. Um, they took a lot more of my time researching and um, just typing up notes the old fashioned way. And um, there's at least three more that uh, I, I think we'll eventually talk about. Yeah, um, but it's very important. Right now, I'm just taking a little bit of a 
breather. Yeah, it was emotionally draining, a lot of them, because... Yeah, you, that too. You're yeah. seeing the most extreme sides of, like, usually American culture. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it was very emotionally draining. Uh, the, the, the People's Temple was very emotionally draining. The Manson, Westboro Baptist Church, it's all very... It's like, I don't want to see. Think, that's why I think stuff like Holy Hell or uh, Wild Wild Country won't be as emotionally draining. Like Wild Wild Country, there is there was some things that happened that were pretty crazy and, and people did get sick, but it, it's not to the same level of Manson or Heaven's Gate or, uh, or Jonestown. Like yeah. that was the one that was the most emotionally draining for me. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're gonna be we're we're talking about some episodes or some segments from the hit show Unsolved Mysteries. That and with the first one, we're we are going to go way way back. Yes, into the first season. Oh my! I thought we had mined all the nuggets out of the first season, Mike. Apparently not. Um, before we get to that, though, I'd like to remind everybody about our Facebook group, which is uh, just go to Facebook and go to the groups section or in the search bar. I think you can just type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and um, our podcast group will come up. You just got to answer some questions, some basic questions like, do you actually listen to this damn podcast and are you a real <laughs> human being instead of a bot? Um, and I mean, folks, if you jump on it like soon, uh, there's a, someone new to our group named Kayla McQuaid and she's, she's, uh, talking about a, she's casting for a TV show that's yeah. being produced for a major cable network in conjunction uh -huh. with fate magazine. Yeah. So if you investigate unsolved or unexplained mysteries, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, legends, and folklore, Please send them an email at Kara, C A R A, at Storyville Entertainment Inc.com. Um, and you, I mean, hell, you might be the next fucking Robert Stack on a major network solving mysteries, talking about Skunk Ape, doing a bunch of blow after the show's over because you're famous <laughs> now and you're Hollywood and that's what you do. You could have, Are you going to send it an audition tape? I don't know. I might. I honestly like <laughs> the the pay on these shows are honestly probably way less than what I make now. So it's like I got bills and shit. But I mean, if the pay is good and it seems like it's not going to be a big waste of my time, then I, I'd be willing to talk to them. But uh, I've, I've had like these casting people hit me up before for stuff. And it just always like uh -huh. never seems like a good deal. Like I was... Yeah, I, this is kind of story time right now, folks. We're getting to the unsolved mysteries. Hold your fucking horses. Um, well, you're talking about story. What Storyville Productions or in Incorporated? So story time. There's the link, Mike. You you connected the dots, <laughs> buddy. Um, but no, I was I was hit up from a video I made on my YouTube channel. Someone hit me up about being on American Grit season two with John Cena. Uh -huh. And I talked to the lady on the phone and we got pretty far along with everything. And, and the big thing for season two was they wanted, quote unquote, real people on the show. Yeah. They didn't want ex-military, ex-police officers. They wanted fucking marshmallowy people like me, I guess, on there who just, you know, had no experience doing anything. Essentially, so they could embarrass us more. I don't know what the what it, what the purpose <laughs> was. But I kept trying to ask her, like, how much does it pay? How much does it pay? And she wouldn't tell me. And I'm like, you know what? I guarantee you this is some situation where John Cena, the host, is the guy making any kind of the money. And us suckers that they're plucking off the internet, uh, we're just going to be happy to be on TV. Oh, boy, golly. You can pay me whatever you want, Mr. or Mrs. Producer. That's fine. Yeah. You know? And I was like, fuck yeah, that, so dude. It's just, yeah, it's just probably little pay or no pay, it's just exposure and uh, the chance the chance to win the grand prize. Exposure and... on a show where they were going to have me like bungee jumping off a bridge or some shit. Yeah. And, and so I'm yeah. going to be crying. I'm going to look like a bitch on national television. <laughs> and then anytime I try to go anywhere, the girls are going to be like, oh, aren't you that guy that cried when John Cena was yelling at you? <laughs> you are definitely not... 
Uh, I just I just had a mental image of that in my head, you know, yeah. the John Cena just yelling at you. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> I've never gotten punched in the face before, Mr. Cena. Please let me go home. <laughs> I'm having a panic attack. See, this is why, folks, I shouldn't really, I really shouldn't be leaving my house. And I encourage you, if you're out there, and you have these same kind of fears, you shouldn't leave your house either. The more people that stay inside, the less bad traffic will be for me when I do have to leave, so it's a win-win for everyone. <laughs> and if you think about that, it makes sense. Anyway, let's get to these fucking unsolved mysteries, Mike. Let's just get it over with, dude. Yeah. I'm just fucking sick just of it. rip it off like a fucking band Yeah, just rip it off, stick the, sh the needle in my arm, you know. <laughs> just get this shit over with. Anyway, uh, Charles Moulet, or M Mule, Charles Mule, which is, as Mike said in the B-roll, he is a jackass, so Mule yeah, is, is fitting. Initially, um, there is apparently an erroneous spelling of his name going around on the internet that it's Mullet, M-U-L-E-T, which really, I wish that Mullet had been the true last name, <laughs> because obviously if it was Mullet, I mean, that's a name, a last name he would have chosen for himself. And this man would have felt that the mullet was so hot that, that it was never going out of style to where he was going to change his last he, name. He didn't really it. have a mullet. No. Well, he, he had a nice, the upper part of his hair, I'm looking at his mugshot right now, the upper part kind of his hair. Kind of a bowl cut. It's, it's a great start to the front of the mullet. Because, like, I could easily <laughs> see a long hair in the back thing going on. Uh, yeah. So let's, let, let me tell you about this guy. Charles Muley was a police sergeant in Slidell, Louisiana, who handled cases of statutory rape, meaning you boned a minor. In 1981, he was assigned to the case of a 12-year-old girl who was upset about the sexual advances of an older boy. Muley met with the young girl on multiple occasions. Her mother became suspicious when Muley left the police station with her daughter and took her to another location. Yeah, understandably so. But, in my mind, Josh here, uh, he's a police... Hey, I'm a police officer. So you're gonna, like, you know, eh, whatever you gotta do. It was later discovered that Muley was taking her to a local Howard Johnson's motel room that he had reserved for undercover work. The girl's parents noted that she began acting strangely after the visits with Muley. After four months, she finally told her parents that she was being sexually abused by him. Ugh. Yeah. Jackass. In order to gather more evidence, the authorities asked the victim and her family if she would go for one more rendezvous with Muley. This time, the room would be used as a trap, with a hidden video camera capturing just enough evidence for prosecution. Before the girl could be compromised, Muley was arrested on the night of March 1st, 1985 and child charged with child molestation. Th think about how difficult something like that must have been for the girl to have to fucking yeah. go back and do it. Oh my God, that is insane. Well, it's also pretty insane that it's a uh, police officer who handled cases of statutory I rape. I know, what the <laughs> fuck, man? I mean, could you have put him in a worse position as a police officer? Like, it's almost like he only got into that role to, like, get his jollies off, you know, sexually. Like, yeah. Like, that, like, you know, I really like cookie he, he dough. He gets the front row seat. I have an obsession with cookie dough, so I'm going to start working for a cookie shop so I can, get, I can eat all the cookie dough I want. But in this case, the cookie dough is young boys and girls. Um, so his co-workers were shocked that he had been arrested and charged with such an appalling crime. Uh, Muley's former partner had the difficult task of having to investigate his case. Oh, shit. His partner has to investigate the other partner. That's got to be rough. After learning the truth about the case, she was furious that Muley could have done such a thing to the victim. Through her investigation, she soon learned the molestation of the 12-year-old girl was not an isolated incident. On September 27, 1985, Muley was charged with 25 counts 
related to the rape and molestation of six young girls. He denied he denied all the charges and was re- oh, of course. was released on $150,000 bail. Dude, that's the only thing you can do is deny it. When 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 you're in that position as a a police officer as an investigator um for that kind of thing. Yeah, all dude, all you can Think about okay. Well, yeah, of course, Mule is like uh, he just goes ole with all these fucking charges oh, because my, come on, you are just. Have you ever opened like a jar of cookies and like the smell <laughs> of freshness hits you in the nose? That is the level of freshness with your dad jokes. This podcast, <laughs> like the dad jokes are so they're ripe. Excellent, <laughs> excellent job. But uh, eight months later, after he was released on 150K bail, eight months later on May 11th, 1986, the day of his trial, Mule was reported missing. Two days later, his vehicle was found near Manchio Bridge, whatever, and a message was sent to the police station that he could not live with the stigma of being on trial. The stigma of a pedophile, that's fine, though, but just being on trial, that's, that's too much of a stigma. The suicide attempt failed to garner credibility after an extensive search of the river failed to recover his corpse. Soon after he vanished, a fisherman saw Muley near a lake. Several days later, a hiker in the back country passed by a man wearing hospital clothing, a favorite outfit of Muley's. Yeah, apparently the do- the dude liked to dress in hospital. This guy has some fucking fetishes, man, and some of them happen to be very illegal and sick. The- so was he walking around in a, a candy striper outfit? What? I don't. <laughs> I'm just picturing <laughs> him up walking- like a fucking nurse. I'm pi- I'm picturing him walking around in like a, a gown with the uh, back unfastened, so you can see his naked ass blowing in the wind, <laughs> just walking around so, in the woods. So you can see this jackass's. Jackass, yeah. Damn, Mike. You won't be stopped, this podcast. You will not be stopped. So the man in the uh, hospital clothing opened... Let me fuck this guy. He opened <laughs> fire on the hiker without making any remark, which is all, again, shit like this, watching shit like this as a kid um, is is what really freaked me out growing up because it's and like... Nowadays, like as an adult, I just kind of chuckle at it because it's so absurd. Well, it still freaks me out, the notion that you could, you know, if you see a stranger, they might just start opening fire at you for well, no yeah. reason. But I mean, just the, the combination of random guy wearing hospital, hospital clothes, <laughs> walking around in the woods, and then taking shots. Shows the guy's clearly not all there. I mean, seriously. I guess he thinks he's a doctor, apparently. Jesus. Dr. Pedo over here. Paging Dr. Pedo. So anyway, the hiker was questioned and identified Mule from a booklet of mugshots. Two years later, after Mule's disappearance, an anonymous tip led authorities to a trailer near Slidell. The tipster claimed that Mule was hiding out there. However, he was not found there. It is believed that one of Mule's police buddies tipped him off. Oh, he's still got people on the inside wow. tipping him off? God damn it. So fucked up. Poli- Too many people on Dr. Pedo's side, apparently. Or at least at least one known person in the police department. Or the pedo department. Police and people who knew him now believe that he is a fugitive who is extremely dangerous due to his knowledge of firearms as well as skills with yeah. disguises. That's another thing that this uh this article doesn't mention, but um he was a highly regarded undercover officer, and in nineteen eighty three he was chosen as officers of the year. He was wow. he was so adept at undercover disguises. He once arrested the same felon three different times without being detected. That's impressive, um, but not as impressive knowing that he's uh, a pedo. I of the segment, I, I I like the fact that it's definitely shot on location, so they use the swamps and everything, and uh, the guy who played Mule, that was a good casting choice. And uh, I love when Robert Stack is talking about Rambo style. <laughs> yeah, because he's talking. <laughs> it's near the end of the segment, and he's he's t- he's talking about his experience and how he's able to uh, survive on his own and survive on his own like Rambo. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. 
It's definitely late 80s. <laughs> so this guy was captured on the night the case was rerun on July 12, 1989. And he's no Rambo. <laughs> Viewers told the FBI that Muley was living in Ocala, Florida, because of course he was living near me. Because everybody, <laughs> every fucking weirdo in the world. I mean, I thought that was just some stupid meme. Like back in the day nope. that, oh, Florida, you know, it's got only in Florida. But no, it's true. I mean, it, it really is true. Flor As Bill Burr once put it, Florida is a sunny place for shady people, apparently. So you got your Dr. Pedo over here. You got your other people, you know, these other criminals that show up. You got some dumbass, you know, criminals. You got hardened criminals, dumbass criminals, all types of criminals over there, Florida. Like retirement home for uh, criminals. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and, and Jacksonville is like a major city, right? But it has these, yeah. it has all these little like satellite cities that kind of orbit around it. And they're all these like small town, redneck, just piece of shit cities that I don't even know what the purpose of their existence is. And Ocala is definitely one of those cities <laughs> that it just... Uh, orbits Jacksonville and it's like all these cities like McClenny, Ocala, Callahan, ba uh, Baldwin, Middleburg, all these cities that, that orbit us are all just straight redneck garbage cities. And I mean, Jacksonville is already redneck as it is like, like a lot of parts of it. Although we are getting better. Like there are like Riverside where the kind of area I live is like a, a bastion of creativity and uh -huh. progressive people and shit. So I love where I live, but Jesus God, every other part is so fucking redneck. I went to a bar in, uh, in orange park, which is right by Jacksonville the other day called, um, crackers. Crackers <laughs> was the name of the bar. <laughs> and there was this guy in there. There was this guy. Welcome to crackers. Uh, dude, as soon as you walk into this place, like, I felt like I was at the headquarters for the alt-right. Like, they had, like, all this just right-wing this and that everywhere. There was pictures of Trump everywhere. Oh, my God. There was a sign on the wall that said amnesty equals treason. Wow. Yeah, like... like It's almost like this is a joke. No, like, but it's no like a parody it was dead serious. And you could, wow. you could see, like... This was definitely a place where scared older white men ran to get away from the world. So I go in there and I'm seeing all this shit. And, you know, I'm trying to put my preconceived notions off to the side, you know, because I grew up around this crap. So I'm like expecting some bullshit. So then this old drunk guy is like walking around and he starts talking to this younger kid at the end of the bar. And I say kid, he's probably like in his mid 20s. And he's like, yeah. he's like, you look like Freddie Mercury. And the kid's just like, oh, thanks, man. I take that as a compliment. I like Queen. He's like, yeah, man, me too. I love Queen. He goes, I hope you ain't gay like Freddie Mercury. That's crazy. He likes Queen, but oh, can't accept the gay. I just can't, then, can't at that point, I just I literally wanted to throw my hands up and be like, and we're done here. Like you, sir, <laughs> thank you for for uh, instilling the stereotypes that were already so ingrained in my head that you are a bunch of intolerant, uh, fucking at, at the very least bigoted people who are afraid of anything that is not the shit that you think or or you the your lifestyle or whatever. And I almost want to be like, sir, I'm gay. What do you have to say about that? You know, like, <laughs> like what, what's the problem with that? You know, yeah. and I'm sorry for anybody out there who's more on the right leaning spectrum, but I think if you've stuck with us this long, you're open-minded enough or you can deal with our bullshit enough to where this isn't going to offend you too well, bad. Well, I mean, not everyone on the right is like that. So that's the thing. I mean, there are people who are extremely right or just extreme. They're on the extreme of that political spectrum. And they they give people who are on the right who aren't really like that a bad name. So, but, you know, it just is one of those things where their behavior is the most uh, publicized type of thing. And that's why a lot of people just associate the right solely with that. Um, and the same thing can apply to the left or even in the middle. It's just funny, though, to me that people say that, 
oh, you're going to take the most redneck, the most homophobic, the most racist people and put them on TV and portray all the people on the right as this way. It's funny people say that. And then I go to a little bar in Jacksonville that has no publicity, no fame, no recognition. No one's recording there. And that's the exact thing I get. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it there there's plenty of that out there, but I just it's, find it's, that funny. I don't know. I just find that a little too coincidental to be like, uh, oh, it's just that one guy. It's not that. No, it's not just that one guy. It's not it, that. It's, 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 it's not a, that ideology a, or way of thinking that that is kind of inherently producing more kind of. I don't know about that. I I, I mean, my thing is, I I think it's it's a pretty solid percentage of people in that in that okay like i'll uh, say political for instance, that are like that i need to meet more people like uh this guy zach weber he does he does this podcast called knights of vader he's been listening yeah. to our podcast for a long time he's right wing he supports trump he's the nicest most like tolerant yeah. guy ever and it's like exactly. i need to meet more zacks there needs to be more zacks yeah. in the world and less homophobe at a bar called crackers in the world <laughs> crackers i still I, i'm sorry that i got on that rant can you, folks can you imagine you know there's a gay black man walks into that bar oh god i know right i almost wish there would have been so i could have like fucking been like you know you know like watch them as they have heart attacks you know like these old white you know <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if we had more of an action-packed episode, I probably wouldn't have gone on this rant. But this is just uh, something uh, I had to get off my chest, and um, for some reason, no, I'm glad you shared it. I never thought there was a bar called Crackers. I mean, well, you know, you go to Cracker Barrel, and you're like, okay, that's kind of insinuating, you know, whatever. But maybe a crack. Well, not really. I mean, Cracker Barrel, like you, you read up on it. Yeah, and it's, it's actually, probably it's some. Term. Yeah, it's probably some kind of something or whatever. But still, it's funny because yeah. mainly white people eat at Cracker Barrel. It's just kind of a funny thing. But then yeah. you name a bar straight up Crackers, you know, like, and you go in there, and it's exactly what you expect. Like literally, it's exact big old rebel flag on the wall. Yeah, like I guarantee you, somebody with swastikas tattooed on their arm could have walked in there, and nobody would have batted a fucking eye. They would have been like, "Oh, hey, Bill, your usual Bud Light." You know, I guarantee you, <laughs> guarantee you, somewhere in that bar there there is a swastika flag somewhere, but it's like hidden. You know, there's another flag on top of it, <laughs> but you know, the real the real. Uh, the real ones who go there, they're they're shown the flag after hours when the bar closes. So I just lost a few <laughs> listeners for us, Mike. You're welcome. You're welcome for that. Thanks. But hey, I mean, if you go listen to other other unsolved mysteries podcasts out there, I mean, perhaps it's you. I mean, they're 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 almost just as I think they're just as liberal as us, if not more. So I mean, good luck trying to find a a right wing <laughs> unsolved mysteries podcast. I don't know if you're gonna find that. All right. So this is an unsolved mysteries podcast. Uh, Going to reiterate that, folks. If, you know, if you this is a this is a this podcast in the middle here, and yeah, Josh is talking about crackers, and they're just like, uh, okay, this was right. an unsolved mysteries podcast, and now it's just gone off the rails into a uh, I don't know what the fuck I, story time podcast. There you go. That's, That's how I like to look at it. So, um. The last case we're going to talk about on this episode is the case of Eva Schoen. And uh, this took place in Telluride, Colorado. And uh, this deals with the U-Haul uh, company. Because uh, the Schoens were the, the family that was responsible for creating U-Haul. Wow. Yeah. So 44-year-old Eva Schoen was the wife of Sam Schoen, a U-Haul heir. The couple lived in Telluride, Colorado with their two young children. Sam's father, Leonard Samuel L.S. Schoen, created U-Haul shortly after World War II. As his company grew, so did his family. Between 1945 and 1974, he had seven sons and five daughters. Holy shit. Must have been Catholic. That's a lot of kids. He gave each of them a large chunk of U-Haul stock at birth. Well, that was nice of him. But, you know, it's one of those things, it's like, did he know it was going to be as successful? It's like, it's we're kind of it was wishful thinking at that point, and it, it, it worked out in the end because his company was successful. But, I mean, it could have easily been 
something that could have backfired and then the kids would grow up and be like, yeah, thanks, Dad, for this worthless fucking stock for this company that's not worth shit. <laughs> it's crazy, though, because they're, like, still, like, around and thriving to this day, you know? Yeah. For as old as this show is, like, that's still, like, a relevant property. I didn't know U-Haul was that old. I, I, I didn't know it was around... I just assume After all World this. War II. I just assume all this shit, all this stuff that I've seen since my childhood. I assume has been around since at least the seventies. So by 1980, he had turned over 92 percent of the company to his children. However, six years later, his children turned on him. On November 8th, 1986, a majority of his children voted to remove him as a president and CEO of U-Haul. He was forced out of the corporation that he had built from scratch. However, Sam remained loyal and later joined LS in a lawsuit to regain control of the company. Now, LS is interviewed in this segment, and he's talking like, oh, I, I, I was hoping that they would just let me still be the CEO so I could live uh, comfortably and not have to worry about my bills at my age. I'm like, did you not save any money? What the hell? Like, what? <laughs> you were the CEO of this company for decades. You're, you're, stra you're strapped for cash. You can't afford to retire. Maybe he gave it all to his shitty-ass kids. Maybe he gave it all to his kids, or maybe he blew it on too many fucking mansions or fucking yachts or some shit. I don't know. Maybe he just bought a lot of, like, U-Haul trailers and just because just he liked how they looked, and he just kept them in some underground dungeon. That was a weird... That's weird. That's a weird thing to say. That's, that's weird. That was a really weird thing. That was probably one of the weirder <laughs> things I've ever said. <laughs> the show and family remains in a bitter dispute and some claim that it has led to murder on the morning of august 6th august 6th bleh, 1990 when police and paramedics arrived they found a eva dead she had been shot once in the back hours earlier uh, apparently her children had found her and uh there was uh i think it was her father their father was driving up to the place and then here comes his kids talking about mom and he goes in and there's mom dead uh at the bottom of the stairs that was one of my worst nightmares as a kid is that i would find one of my parents dead like when i came home yeah it's horrible and it's because I mean, of shows like this god damn it i should not have been watching <laughs> this as a fucking kid <laughs> Or like when I was watching Rescue 911, like afraid that some burglar is going to break in and, and stab my parents or something or shoot everybody and then have to call 911 and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> these are all real fears I had because of these fucking shows. So Sam had been out of town on business. When he received the tragic news, he immediately rushed back, rushed home to be with his children. His daughter explained that she had went to show her mother a new trick. She had taught her, caught the, taught their dog when she found her laying at the top of the main staircase. The kids they have to play these uh, children, the little girl actress, she's eh. Yeah, they're a little too... Again, but... like I, I get it. The, the boy, though, I thought he did a good job because, like, he the emotion he was showing when, you know, he was mourning for, the, the you know, the, the mother, I thought was really effective. The other girl, though, it seemed, I didn't really... I don't think she's that great of an actress. <laughs> the little kid. <laughs> the little, little kid. kid, you suck. <laughs> well, it's true. There are some kid actors. They, You know, they're, I mean, look at Henry Thomas and E.T. Look at some of these other kid actors. I mean... Oh, Haley Joe Osment. Look at Jamie Lloyd was terrible in, in uh, Phantom Menace. And there's actually footage of different kids who audition... And there's one kid that was so much better. Oh, really? Like he and George Lucas didn't go with him because uh, he just liked Jamie and he had a had a better he had the look he had the look. The other kid didn't have the look he was looking for. The look? What was it? Was the other kid not like the the most whitest kid with the most blonde bull haircut he'd ever seen or something? <laughs> yeah, the kid was more of like kind of a. Uh, yeah, the kid you'd see play on the baseball team, you know, little league, little leaguer type thing. But the kid was just so much better than Jamie Lloyd. It was crazy. I'm like, that movie would have been better if that kid was a young Anakin Skywalker. 
But no, gotta go with Jamie. Macaulay Culkin, that was like the king of child actors growing up for me. Well, yeah, I mean, Macaulay Culkin had charisma and personality and was fun. I mean, you could even see it in early roles and stuff like uh, Uncle Buck. Yeah. So, going back to the case, uh, later that day, Detective Kim Pound... Come on, Mike, I know, you got, oh my, I know you got a joke in there about Kim Pound. Well, I'm just saying, uh, there's a congressman named Dick Pound. I mean, Are you that serious? Would be a really, yes. That's awesome. So that, that would be a uh, match made in heaven, Kim and Dick Pound. <laughs> Question Sam about his business trip to Phoenix, Arizona, and what he had done when he arrived there. He said that he had talked to one of his business partners on the phone and he'd gone to bed around 11.30 p.m. after speaking with Eva on the phone. Pound also asked Sam if he had any enemies. He mentioned the dispute in his family regarding U-Haul. Meanwhile, the detectives searched his house for any clues. They were baffled by the lack of apparent motive. There was no evidence of attempted burglary and the autopsy showed no signs of sexual assault. Only one important piece of evidence was found a distinctive pair of sunglasses near the house. It was determined that the sunglasses were only sold in 28 stores in the United States. Now, these are these are little, these are stuff that I don't think was ever mentioned in this segment because this was a case featured on Cold Case Files. So I think they added this information because I don't remember hearing any of that in this segment. The segment was like 10 minutes. So, um... But thankfully, to Cold Case Files and to this wikia, they're able to add more info to the particular uh, proceedings to this particular case. So, the stores were located primarily in California and Arizona. Detectives learned that Sam's business trip was last minute and that he had taken Eva's car. His car remained in front of the house. The show and house is extremely isolated, well off the main highways. It could only be reached by way of winding country roads. As a result, authorities believe that the Shoans were targeted and that the murder was not a random act of violence. I thought the reenactment here did a phenomenal job lighting uh, the sequences that took place at night and uh, using the lighting in the house uh, to perfection. Yeah. And... It was it was something straight out of a, a slasher movie or a horror movie or something like that. I thought that it was uh, pretty crazy that the killers apparently, because of how isolated they are, this house is, the killers could just wait there in the woods, right next to their house, and just spy on them, and. Nobody in the house would be able to tell that they're being watched. So that seems like a uh, really big negative about living in the middle of fucking nowhere in the woods. <laughs> because apparently if somebody knows where you are, they could just hide in the woods and watch you and then wait for you to do your routine and then open an unlocked door, which is another thing. Why are you leaving the door unlocked? Well, you know, again, maybe this was they, maybe they didn't watch a lot of American news and they weren't pumped full of fear all the time. But it's showing that that was kind of a, 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 a that would have been a benefit on on their end. Although if they were hired to be killed, they would have gained entry one way or another. Well, yeah, but also the whole thing with the dogs, like they have dogs and they were barking, so they clearly heard heard and and, and sensed that there was something. Well, apparently the dogs were put away. On. The dogs were put away that. But night. the dogs are put away because they were barking too much. Oh. Well, fun. so they left the dogs out, or actually, you know, checked themselves. But even then, if you went and checked, then you know that she could have gotten. The thing is, if I'm living in a fucking house in the middle of the woods i'm going to be armed i'm sorry i will be <laughs> and if if i if my dogs are being suspicious and i think there's something might be up i'm going to go investigate with a loaded fucking gun <laughs> well, i mean i think in the woods it makes a lot more sense too because i mean it could be like i mean in the in the woods where they lived it looked like there could be bears and shit i mean they lived in yeah. some remote ass woods yeah 
Like, like we, like my parents' house when I was growing up, it was wooded, but like a, a, a road, like a, I don't want to say main road, but like, you know, a paved asphalt road was just, you know, yards away if you drove down yeah. our dirt road. But yeah, so, I mean, it was wooded, but it wasn't like fucking mm-hmm. Montana. So they also believe that the killer or killers watched the show and family from the wooded area surrounding the house. Sam suspects that the intruders caused the dogs to start barking outside. He believes that Eva brought the dogs inside and locked them in a room to keep them from upsetting the neighbors with their barking. He and the authorities believe that the killers waited for Eva and the children to go to bed before entering the house through an unlocked door. It is believed that the killers then went upstairs into Eva's bedroom. They shot, Then they shot her while she was laying in bed. One of the children recalled hearing a thud and looked at the clock and noticed that it was 2 a.m. They then heard another thud. Authorities, however, do not believe that they were woken up by the actual gunshot. After she was shot, Eva managed to stagger out to the staircase where she was later found. Detective Pound (laughs) believes that the killers targeted Eva specifically. Sam disagrees. He does not believe that anyone knew that he was not supposed to be home that night. He believes that whoever planned the crime thought he was home. Detectives looked into Sam's history at U-Haul. He resigned from the company to protest his father's ouster. He moved to Telluride with his family. Two of his younger brothers, Joe and Mark, engineered Ellis's removal, and they also took over the company. In 1988, Joe and Mark brokered a stock sale to solidify their position as majority shareholders. Sam, along with four of his sisters, his brother Mike, and their family and their fathers firmly believed that the sale was illegal. They filed suit against Joe, Mark, and a third brother. Within six months, Ellis's pension had been cut off. According to several witnesses, the family bitterness turned violent on March 4, 1989, at a shareholders meeting in Reno, Nevada. Mark and Joe denied that there was any violence. Of course, I mean, people would be uh, liable and definitely will- willing to be doing that kind of th- thing uh, when it comes to what are you trying to say, Denying Mike? Denying that there's any... Well, <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to do here, Mike? I'm just trying to say that that's a, that's a normal reaction. That's a normal thing to say. Like, if... No, of course there's no violence. No, I, I, I didn't punch anybody. That didn't happen. Uh, however, Sam claims that they attacked Mike. According to Ellis and Sam, Mike had brought a recorder to the meeting. Mark and Joe wanted to take it away, but he refused. And this ended in the brothers punching Mike repeatedly. Damn. There was obvious speculation that Eva's murder may have been related to the show and family dispute. Detective Pound questioned Mark and Joe about the murder. Joe was reportedly very hostile during the interview and made several bizarre statements. However, Pound cannot say for certain if they were involved in Eva's murder. Sam and his children left Telluride after Eva's murder and not, have not returned since. However, they continue to search for answers in the case. There's one final clue that may help solve the case. On the night of the murder... A white Jeep Cherokee, unfamiliar to the permanent residents of Telluride, was sighted several times on the secluded roads near the Schoen house. The car and its occupants have not been located. But there is a update. It actually is solved. A viewer called the telecenter after the segment was repeated, uh, I believe two years later, in 1994, and claimed that his brother-in-law, Emmer Marquis, was a killer. Marquis had previously served time for several burglaries and rapes. He had told the viewer that he was involved in the murder and covered up all the evidence against him. Authorities were able to record this conversation. And after that, a detective went to Santa Fe and questioned Marquis' boss at the time. His time card showed that he missed work on August 5th and 6th, 1990. The boss also recalled that Marquis and another employee, Jeff Beale, had gone to Telluride for a music festival around the time of the murder. Authorities questioned Beale who confirmed that they had gone to the music festival and Telluride on August 5th. He also confirmed that Marquis had borrowed a gun from another co-worker and brought it with him to Telluride. The other co-worker confirmed that he had given him the gun, which was a 25 caliber Lochran handgun. Earlier, detectives had determined that this specific type of gun was a murder weapon. However, somebody, or someone, presumably Marquis, had caused damage to the inner barrel of the gun, preventing a positive match through ballistics. In July of 1993, Marquis was arrested and charged with Eva's murder. In February of 1994, Beale was requested, re-questioned about his trip to Telluride with Marquis. 
He remembered that while driving back to Santa Fe, Marquis acted strangely and threw some of his clothing out the window. With the help of Beale, two detectives were able to locate some of the clothes. A hair found in one of the shirts belonged to Eva. Gotcha. Gotcha, bitch. Forensics. <laughs> Forensics, fucker. At first, Marquis denied any involvement. However, in October 1994, he confessed to Eva's murder. He claimed that his gun went off unexpectedly while he and Eva struggled. Pfft. Don't buy that. He had planned to burglarize the home and had not expected her to be in the house. When she had told him to leave, he killed her. However, authorities believe that he really planned to rape her that night. Marquis pleaded guilty to manslaughter in November of 1994. He was sentenced to 24 years in prison and was paroled in November of 2011. This fucking guy was paroled. How long did he spend in prison? 24 years. Jeez. Authorities have ruled out any connection between Eva's murder and the U-Haul feud. Yeah, I know. Which is why this segment is more than likely not on the Amazon uh, Prime episodes. In fact, it isn't. So I think that's that's the likely reason why it's not. Because uh, the show ones are probably like, we don't really want this drama to be repeated. Because it's been proven that it wasn't because of the feud. Yeah, and U-Haul still has a name and an image to maintain and shit, so I'm sure they're, you know... They don't want to be associated with murder. Right. They're still keeping track of, you know, what people are saying about them and shit, because like any other company that's still around, bad publicity can, yeah, you know... It's a short segment, but it's a good one. Yeah, I just... It's being a short, seems like this might be a pretty short podcast, folks. Well, you know, I've been giving you some long ones yeah. lately. Yeah. Yeah, I would probably cut that out. That sounded awful. Not warmed up at all. Thundered all right, but I didn't understand the lyrics. It almost sounded like a different version, like a pop version of Michael McDonald or something. I was trying to sing Logical <laughs> Song by Supertramp, but... Uh, yeah. Oh, no, it was... Michael, Michael McDonald. I heard that life was so wonderful. Anyway. There you go. But with uh, oh yeah, Michael McDonald. I keep forget we're not in love anymore. <laughs> Every time you leave, so I, I like the uh, Key of Awesome parody. You know, it's like I eat lot. You know, he's like I eat lots of cheese because it helps me see. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my friend uh, Thad. He's this black guy. Yeah. I remember I was at Applebee's. Uh, Lane Avenue, and uh, I was playing a song that 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 uh, it was some hip hop song called Regulators, uh-huh. and they sampled um, they sampled I keep forgetting we're not in love anymore by Michael McDonald in the song, and Thad mm-hmm. was like he goes uh, black people like Michael McDonald man he's a bad motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> uh, I that was- yeah because he you know he does he sounds like he eats a lot of cheese and then he's like. I sound like a sad dog. <laughs> take it to the street. We'll take it to the street. Folks, if you've already checked out mentally by now, I'm gonna be there. Yeah, I'm gonna be. Yeah, if you've checked out mentally at this point, nobody blames you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think that's all the mysteries. This might, yeah, this this is gonna be a short one probably. Is there any? Is there? Any, it's a new record. Is there any fluff or filler that we can put into this part? Not that I think of. Not anything I really want to fluff up. I mean, for me, like, like if I want to, if I'm going to tell you about what's going on in my life, or I'm going to tell you about how I'm doing, like, that's just got to be something that happens at the beginning. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I like <laughs> once it once it's towards the end, it's too late. You should already asked. You didn't, and now you'll never know. Anyway, folks, uh, enough wasting your time right now. <laughs> if um, you want to contribute to us on Patreon, support us on there. It is patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, <laughs> go, go, Power Rangers! Money Muffin Power Rangers! Uh. Um... 
If you want to, that was a random transition. I was doing a Wayne's World reference. Not, not oh, Power I thought that's what you were going with the because that that guitar <laughs> no. solo in that song shreds, man. It's like fucking Neil Sean from uh, Journey just yeah. shredding that shit. That was a big rumor growing up that Journey uh, did the the theme song uh-huh. for Power Rangers. I always thought. Have you heard? There's a different version. It's, I think it's from one of the guys from Buckethead. It's epic. Oh, really? I'll, yeah, I'll check great. that out. If you want to follow me and Mike on YouTube separately, but oh so equally, you can do so by um by Mike's uh, his channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He reviews movies. And what was the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Hairspray. Okay. The nineteen eighty eight film directed by John Waters. Um and I posted a vlog where I was basically talking about how I was a little bit burned out. Yeah, by I was some gonna say, Mike, and... I heard through the grapevine, aka YouTube, you're you're getting a little burned out there. What's that all about? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been doing it for so long, and it's just one of those things where I I just put too much stuff on my plate when it comes to movie reviews. So I was just deciding, uh, I'm just gonna take a little bit of break and just sit back and relax and just do random stuff and. I've recorded some movie stuff like I did a, a sort of a kind of a vlog uh, where I'm talking about movie news. I just recorded that and then I, I did a few things related to that, but it's not straight up movie reviews. Like I'm still going to take a little extra time to kind of just build my passion back up for that. And but I'm building my passion back up for YouTube by doing different stuff. Like I'm going to talk about some. Uh, new retro wave uh, albums and artists that I really enjoy. I even made a playlist of songs um, on uh, for YouTube. It's a YouTube playlist, and uh, do some collection videos and top ten lists and and stuff like that. So just kind of tr- just switch things up, spice things. I up just a I just bit. thought it was Make weird me- seeing the video because you know you're talking about YouTube burnout, and I never experienced burnout from YouTube. I never I never put hours into editing and filming only to get 90 views after two weeks. I never uh, have been on the site for three years only to see these young fuckers who've only been on for one year and they already have 200,000 subscribers. And they do the same fucking bullshit clickbait, yep. bullcrap that everyone else does. Uh-huh. I never get burnout, Mike. <laughs> So I don't know why you are. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, a little moment there. Um, you know, you burn out people's eardrums over here. <laughs> you know what I? You know actually what I liked. Uh, you posted that thing on your Facebook of um, you uh, were looking for entertainment or something. Some skit kind of dealio. And yeah, and uh, entertainment quest. You, yeah, you, I did. It's a video edit I did for uh. uh Digital filmmaking class yeah, and, and taking it at WC. That is like the first time I think I've actually seen your whole like entire like body and you walking around <laughs> and and doing things. So that was you should yeah. do more shit like that, dude. That's so much more engaging than you just sitting in front of a computer screen talking about a movie. I mean, not and not that those are bad. Is, but I, it just depends on you know. It, it's that's that's just so much extra work. And and I was actually had a friend, a friend of mine, did the camera work. He 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 directed. So I wasn't the one that was shooting that. So if I was the one shooting that by myself, it would it would take a while. Oh, just get a tripod. That's how I I do have a tripod, but you know we'll see. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, if you want to catch me on YouTube, if I haven't scared you away by my screaming, um, it's YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. My most recent video was a video about the downfall of Eminem, the rapper Eminem. He released his new album Kamikaze. Uh, recently, and it's garnered controversy, which I guess is better than garnering nothing at all, like what his last album got. No one really talked about it or gave. What a shit. happened with Eminem to me is his ego got oversized. His ego became enormous. Well, I already talk about in my video what I, the three major things I think are, are what corrupted Eminem and what made him fall from grace. So uh, if you guys want to... It's a good video. Thank you. I, I think it. all three reasons are, are sound and uh, I okay. definitely agree with them. I put, I'm putting but more work... I definitely work, would add a fourth one. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting more work into... Like, if I'm doing a video that's more documentary style, like, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but like when I, when I show the picture of Dr. Dre, I even did this effect where I cut... Dre out of the picture, slightly enlarged him, did some kinks to where he's moving slightly, and it gave the picture a more 3D, uh, mm-hmm. a livelier feel. 
I did there's some just some refinement techniques that I used in there and and it just made all the difference when I went and re rewatched the video because it's like oh this looks a lot more like professionally done and a lot more entertaining than just your typical crap that you would find on YouTube um now a lot of times when you're doing a documentary and you get you're you're having to use archival footage there's only so much you can do cuz you're working with like 240p quality video but um I don't know just little things like that I'm trying to refine my technique and since Eminem's a hot topic right now uh the video's doing pretty good for a, a video of my channel anyway um so I think my new format on YouTube is going to be trying to find trying to combine things that I'm actually interested in with stuff that might actually be trending right now. And if I can find a happy balance, because Good luck. I know, I know right? <laughs> because I've noticed that me just doing videos on things that I'm interested in, but they don't have any relevance to what's been going on now or well, yeah, I know that's how YouTube is lately with their algorithm. But for me, it's like, if I'm going to have the passion to do this stuff, I, I need to do it, do videos about things that I'm passionate about, stuff I want to talk about. So that that's that's how I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like the first kind of time I learned about how wow, when you make a video about something that's trending, it really does get more views. It was that Channel Awesome incident with Doug Walker and the Nostalgia Critic. Well, yeah, I did I did pretty decent with that. Yeah, with like I made too, two so. videos and they both <laughs> easily cracked over you know a couple thousand views or whatever and. That was the first taste of like, okay, so when I when I make something that I'm both passionate about and is relevant to something that people are talking about in the current moment, it might do well. Problem is, a lot of the shit that I'm really passionate about is old stuff that <laughs> isn't around anymore. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. But I'm just, dude, I'm just tired of putting out videos and busting my ass on making them and they just get like 120 views you know you could do like a nintendo rant or something like that those are always probably popular yeah I mean, nintendo's been doing that recent thing lately by shutting down all these emulator sites years later yeah i could maybe do a rant or a, just a discussion about my feeling on roms and emulators in general i don't know with something or just nintendo because nintendo is just super anal about their copyright yeah fucking youtube's flooded with nintendo videos though people make their whole yeah. careers off talking about nintendo <laughs> but um i heard that the eu the uh the uh european what is it european union or something yeah. um they uh recently passed a couple laws that are pretty uh messed up for uh the internet um uh-oh. One is potentially going to affect copyright. They're going to uh, ask uh, places to automatically try to filter copyrighted material before it's uploaded. Uh-oh. And uh, stuff that deals with... Uh, stuff with hyperlinks and things like that, sharing uh, aspects from other online articles and things like that. So, yeah, uh, it's it's... A little bit distressing. The thing is, though, it's only in the EU. We're not a part of the EU in the US, so we don't have to worry about it. But for those of you who are in the UK, I'm sorry. It seems like the internet's going to get uh, uh, fucked up the ass <laughs> by, by these new these new uh, new uh, bills that have passed. Um, maybe it won't, but it seems like it will. And the EU has always been anal and a bunch of asses about the internet anyway, so... Yeah, mm. um, it's even like the thing where it's like you have to get copyright permission to do your, you know, to share a meme or something or some other bullshit. Yeah, it it looks like it could get that bad. It has the potential to get that bad. Damn. Well, I'm starving yeah. and I want to eat a pizza, so I'm gonna let you go and uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Until next time, have a good rest of your day and or night. Goodbye. See ya. What pizza are you ordering? Oh, I'm not ordering a pizza. I'm 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 making a uh, I think it's a DiGiorno. Yeah. It's it's not delivery. It is DiGiorno and and nobody would ever fucking confuse the two because DiGiorno tastes nothing like <laughs> delivery. It's it's painfully obvious that you're eating a, eating a frozen pizza when you eat a DiGiorno. The stupidest marketing 
tag I've ever heard. What's up, everybody? Just want to remind everyone that my album, The Nightmare Inside You, is still up for sale, and we have new band t-shirts as well. All of this is in the description of this podcast, so check it out, and if you dig the music, maybe consider supporting me. Now, enjoy some more of the album. I'm thinking about interviewing uh, Dan Handelman. He's a guy I've worked with at Flying Focus Video. I helped uh, produce a couple of public access shows with him and edited a few shows. So think about interviewing him about editing, uh, video editing and stuff like that for public access. It only has to be like a minute long. So it doesn't have to be that long of an interview. And then for uh, later... Uh, and this documentary is not due until like the end of the term, but we really should start working on it uh, ahead of time. I'm going to try to contact my, one of my psychiatrists and talk to him, see if he wants to do an interview, because I'm, I'm going to do a, a documentary about mental illness in the Pacific Northwest and uh, the history and uh, treatment and how uh, mental illness, you know, the, the ability to treat pe- people with mental illness is... Um, it's not as effective and as good as it as it should be, and so I want to do a little bit of research on what led to all these institutions being shut down, and whether or not the belief that a lot of people have that they were all horrible is true, and then also talk about how uh, the options that people who are mentally ill, uh, the options that they have are limited or they're not as effective and so on and so forth. And that'll be like a five minute documentary. And I got two other people I'm working with. So I'm not just doing it myself, which is a huge uh, deal. I think it's really cool because I can work with a group. So just try to do everything on my own. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, one of my group members named Kelly, she actually knew the shooter, the Jacksonville shooter, she actually was friends with him what? in school. Really? Yep. How'd that yep. happen all the way over in the Pacific Northwest? Well, she moved. Oh. Yeah. From she Jacksonville? Uh, I think from Jacksonville or, or... I don't think he lived in Jacksonville. I think he lived somewhere else. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Um, So she moved from where, you know, that kid went to school and, and she also went to school and she was saying that he was a very reserved guy and he was quiet and shy and and her and her friend uh, decided to, you know, take it up, take it upon themselves to try to, you know, make friends with him because he seemed like he was really sad and they did become friends. But she'd have to, like, really pressure him to even get a smirk on his face. And and she remembers him telling her that he hated his parents and back then, she didn't think much of it because, you know, hey, you know, a lot of people hate their parents or whatever, yeah. for whatever reason. But when she found out, of course, what had happened, then she was like, wow, you know, that's that's really, that's 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 pretty telling. Uh, a little bit of foreshadowing there. But also, uh, she was talking about how he won a tournament two years earlier. He won a matting tournament two years before this most recent one. And... His prize was to meet a Buffalo Bills player. And the photo with him and the Buffalo Bills player is pretty scary because the Buffalo Bills player is like smiling and all happy. And he's just sitting there with a blank look on his face. Yeah, I'm trying to bring that image up right now. See if I. Oh, yeah. I see it right here. Yeah, this guy is like. 
<laughs> I hate to say this because it sounds so fucked up to say, but this guy looks like somebody that would be be someone that would like just pull a gun out and start shooting people. Like I, I don't know. He's he he's got kind of that dead eyed stare. It's, it seems like at one point when this girl knew him, like there was still something there, you know, some hope or whatever. And I guess maybe things deteriorated really badly with his family. He did have a history of mental illness. Apparently, I guess the police were called 20 separate times. Um, and his parents had different ideas of how he should be treated. So they were, uh, his mother was of the belief. She really felt that he should go to a, 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 a treatment facility uh, but her husband felt his father felt that he should just do a support group at school. So there was that sort of clash thing going on with with what kind of treatment he should take. Well, I mean, nobody ever thinks that their kid is going to shoot up a place. No, you know. So it's but like if he if if there was a decision that was made early on enough, maybe he could have gotten on meds. Maybe he could have gotten better treatment instead of this wishy-washy half and half thing or you know it's just one of those things where he clearly was mentally ill even early on before any of this happened so yeah well that's yeah it's unfortunate and uh and if that's the case where did he get that gun and why was he able to get it (laughs) fucking welcome to america folks um yeah i (laughs) We, my band might actually be playing a show at the landing at some point in the uh, future. Uh-huh. My friend has a uh, connect to someone who books. The thing about the Jacksonville landing is that uh, it used to be like this really cool place that everybody like was like, you know, when you were in high school or middle school, whenever they said we were going to take a field trip to the landing, it always had like these very exciting connotations like, oh, man, we're going to the landing. And then yeah. you go, and it's the weirdest... It might as well be a crash landing. Yeah, it's the weirdest, like... <laughs> you go in there, and they have... It's like a plaza, right? And they uh-huh. have this kind of uh, rotunda area where it's like this mm, open area that's like cobblestone, and then they have a stage that's like always there. And then you go inside these... It's almost like a mall type, situ- like like how it looks. There's glass for the walls and everything. You go inside, and there's just like some shitty little stores, and there's a lot of closed off, build like spots that could be stores. And then you go up the escalator, and there's a food court, and uh-huh. there's really like nothing to it. There's nothing to the landing. There's like there's uh, that good luck have the GLHF game place that just opened up there, and that's where the shooting took place. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there was plans for the longest time to demolish the landing and turn it into something better. And I think they should, because that's, that is a landmark of Jacksonville. It's a landmark that nobody gives a fuck about. Like nobody cares about the landing Uh, or, or do remodeling, you know, add more stuff in there. Yeah. I don't know. There's like, make it kind of like a mall or something. There's not really like an anchor store in that place. That's what I'm talking about. Make it like a a shopping mall or something with all these different stores. Yeah. I mean, they have a food court, which is weird. It's weird as shit to go see a food court in a a place. And it's not in a mall. Yeah. It's not in a mall. It's just a food court. (laughs) And there's nothing, there's no reason for it to really be there. But anyway, 